Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain. The mission of this podcast is to give encouragement and education to brain injury survivors and caregivers like you. We want to be your safety net. This interview is part two of my time with Mary Margaret Scharf, the survivor of domestic violence. To see part one of our interview and our entire library of podcasts, visit our website, mindyourbrainfoundation.org, or search Spotify, Anchor, Apple, they'll all be there. My name is Candace Gant. I'm a traumatic brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conferences and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. Our mission is to introduce persons with a brain injury access to the highest quality educational materials. We provide tools and tips to improve your outcomes and encourage each listener to be a warrior. You got this. We believe in you. So thank you again for joining us, Mary Margaret. Happy to have you back on the show. I'm happy to be back. Thanks so much for having me, Candace. The first interview was just so powerful and emotional. So I knew that we needed to follow this up with really some good news about your recovery, but also the struggles that you may have encountered. So in our first interview, you told us about the brutal attack on January 6th in 2010 by your ex, your now ex-husband. And I, don't, I wanna remind our listeners, her attacker is still in jail. That's important for everybody to know. And now in this next segment, we would like to explore your recovery and share with our audience how you're doing now. So let's pick that up, Mary Margaret. What has your recovery been like after that attack, both mentally and physically? So the attack, as you said, it was brutal. I had many physical injuries. I had, he broke, he used this long mag light flashlight to impart the attack and broke most of the bones in my face and my jaw. And part of one side of my face was paralyzed. And I did a lot of PT work on that and just breaking up the scar tissue. And I had also other physical injuries, like a lot of, I'm sure traumatic brain injury survivors have of, of stitches and gaping wounds. And I ended up, I had almost it when they did it, I, when, after I saw myself for the first time in the hospital, it looked like I had like from home Depot, like carpet staples down the front of my head. And I thought I was kind of making a joke to the doctor. I was like, did you not have other materials to sew this up and yes yeah these are staples you got from from your your local uh stationery store (laughs) exactly um but I was very lucky in that the chief surgeon um who was there that night that I got brought into emergency had done a lot of work he told me later uh stitching up people in Africa when he was younger and he was really good. And so he did, I had a lot of stitches. I also ended up with a lot of gashes in my skull, uh, where there wasn't even skin to staple. So they just poured glue in it. And I eventually, I ended up having a lot of reactions. And over the first couple of months, I had a staph infection on my head because of all I got this hypergranulation tissue where it looked like I had like red hot chili peppers all over my head and a lot of bleeding. And it was certainly frightening for my daughter 
who was my one daughter was only four months when it happened, but the, my other daughter was seven and it's definitely an emotional, uh, experience to see your mother so injured. And I have a lot of issues. I lost my sense of smell because all the, uh, whatever in your nose, they got all with the impact got severed. And so I couldn't smell, which is not very helpful when you have a four month old and you can't even tell if they have a dirty diaper. But luckily my mom was with us for those first couple of months. And which was also absolutely necessary because I couldn't even bend over to pick up my daughter without fainting because of all my balance and depth perception issues. And so, I mean, it was a really very focused on a very physical recovery in those first six months, but it was also incredibly traumatic and fast paced in that we were in hiding first in New York city. And then in a, a friend had offered up, they had a summer home in Connecticut and we stayed there. And, but we were always, I was hyper vigilant of, you know, watching what was going on around me. And he, my ex-husband was in prison, had not bailed out yet, but still it was terrifying, not knowing if somebody else was following me. And I had so many doctor's appointments to go to. And so I really did, I really did focus on it day by day. And I continue to do that in my life and not think super long-term about, but just getting through that particular day and what you need to do. And with the injuries, I would say the, the more lasting effects of the traumatic brain injury became more evident as these more severe physical injuries started to remedy themselves. Mm -hmm. And my depth perception continues to be very off and I'll bump into things and, you know, whether it's a cabinet with my head or taking a corner in the house in the hallway too quick and banging into something, which whenever I hit my head, because some, the attack was primarily to my head, it just has this muscle memory in your body that just your body remembers. And it triggers this very up until it to this day, if I hit my head and my children and, you know, close people in my life know that it's really traumatic for me because it just brings back the flood of all that, of those memories of this. And you could reconcuss yourself. Right. And you can you can do damage just by hitting your head in a random situation that would cause additional damage to an already tender area of your body. Absolutely. And so I'm incredibly aware of what I need to do to make sure I'm on this earth for my children. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I take I don't wrap myself in bubble wrap and stay home, but I'm I've given up things that I absolutely love. Like for instance, Candace, I know you were a, a big biker and mm-hmm. I really enjoy cycling as well. But several years ago, I gave up doing any type of road cycling because I have a very, and I'll get into this more in terms of my traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. I am a very linear thinker now. 
And so when I got to an intersection and I would have to make a judgment of whether to go or not, yes. when you didn't have a traffic light or what have you, or Stop I, yeah. it was so much information for me to try to absorb. And mm-hmm. sometimes I would just be like, okay, go. And I go and it would be, and that happened to me a couple of times where I was like, oh my gosh, like I really could have gotten hurt. And so then I decided, well, I'll just go on paths. And then sometimes paths are too crowded. And so now I'm more, um, I do other things. Like I've recently taken up Pilates because it's very um, stationary based. You're in your own space. Mm-hmm. Your head is really not down very much. So I don't have that dizziness. And it's and not moving around just, as if you're on a bike and you're being jostled around. Right. There's no like aggressive dance going on with a class full of participants. And so I can do what feels right for me and modify, but at least it gets me moving. You can get an exercise routine in your daily life. That's important. So important. And also, I mean, a lot of what I do for my mental health and uh, physical in terms of activities is, you know, I go on walks after school drop off with other moms I know and you know, we'll just take a walk and get outdoors. And that's, that's a very nice way to start off your day. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, but if I think it's important to talk about, cause there was such a stark contrast for me that became apparent as the years progressed that, you know, going from being an attorney where I would be litigating cases and cross-examining, you know, MIT economists and having to be very uh, agile in my ability to respond, to object, to, you'd have to really think on your feet. There's no way that I could do that any longer. And I remember I watched um, a podcast that you had done or an interview, Candace, and you said the word mourn, like don't mourn who you were. And, but rather look at what you can do now and how you can improve and have a full life. And so that resonated with me when I heard you say that word. And that's very much the way I've lived my life. I've realized that, and at first it wasn't so apparent to me. I just was frustrated, like, gosh, why can't I get things done? And, you know, if you ever, if I'm in a, particularly a time crunch situation where something has to get done in a certain time, and there's multiple things going on. I just implode. I mm-hmm. I can't do it. And so decision making that component after a brain injury is so damaged that you're you're in a deer in the headlights. You're completely stalled in your ability to make a good and quick decision. Exactly. And what helped me a lot was there was an expert, a doctor, who explained to me. I don't know, maybe five years ago. And just hearing this explanation made me feel so much better. He said that so much of my injury was to my frontal lobe where executive functioning is. Mm -hmm. And that, because I would say, gosh, like I can make so many lists. I can say, I need to do, I can sit there and I can go through the list. So like, if you, if you wanted to liken it to, I'm going to get a thing of orange juice out of the refrigerator, I would write my list walk to refrigerator, put up your hand, pull open the door, take Mm -hmm. the orange juice, Mm -hmm. put it on the counter. So 
not that I would make a list about that, but I'm just trying to give an example that I could make these very detailed lists knowing like whether it was dealing with taxes or submitting some kind of paperwork or going through mail. And, but I could make the list, but I couldn't execute it. I, I would end up having, uh, like we had a, a very long-term, a, a wonderful woman who was with us for almost 10 years to watch the girls and help me with the house. And she would say to me as she'd be like, well, Mary Margaret, now envelopes are coming in that are red. So that means you haven't paid them. So we need to sit down and go through the mail. <laughs> like, okay. Right, and so right. she would help me and, and I, and she would help me and open them. And then we'd be like, okay. She's like, now you got to write a check. And so I, that was just so hard for me. It still is so, so hard for me to write a check and put it in the envelope and put the, and it sounds so silly, but it's just this inertia to do it. And so now luckily with the help of, um, of friends, I've have everything pretty much on auto pay and then it just happens. And once in a while, there's something that has to be written a check. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I usually am late on that, but I do, I do manage. You have a system for it. Yeah. And yeah, so you end thing. up, you end up. So, but him telling me that was, was really helpful because it made me feel like there was something physical that happened. And it wasn't just that, because I've always been a person always instilled my, by my parents that if you work hard enough and you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Right. And I've lived by that my whole life. And so understanding and having that frustration with myself, but then understanding there's a physical reason for that made it easier for me at least. Indeed. I remember being paralyzed that I had to decide what to wear in the morning. I had to dranimal my closet so that I would know what matched and what went together because I would spend an enormous amount of time selecting clothes and was exhausted on just selecting my outfit in the morning. Those are the my, type of decisions you take for granted that you didn't really realize that this would be a momentous task each day. And that's why I think for people listening to have you know, whether you walk into your closet or walk into a pantry or whatever, if there's so much going on in there, it can be incredibly mm -hmm. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And having people that you that care care about you and want to help you to streamline things in your life. I mean, my daughter, my elder daughter, Abigail, did that for me, where she just said, look, mom, you know, you're not, you have to accept, <laughs> you're not going to be wearing your work suits. <laughs> so let's give them to women in need. And she really helped me streamline my closet and get rid of a lot of things that were just so much noise in my life that it was really hard. Mm -hmm. And now I, yeah, I kind of have more of a uniform kind of situation where I know it works. And if it doesn't, I give it to other teachers at school, the teachers at school, right, or, right. and I care to keep it lean. And with the help of my daughter who comes home and for some reason loves to clean out closets. So I'm very blessed. Wow. You're life. lucky. You're lucky. Well, my girls would do that as long as they could take the hand-me-downs. They'd go through my closet. Oh, mom, that might be too young for you. And off it goes. Yeah. That actually is probably the reason she does that. Cause That's she right. says to me, she'll criticize something of mine. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, I'll take this one. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> Agreed. So, Agreed. and I mean, in terms of, I mean, this even in terms of the executive functioning and just doing something simple. And I thought about it between our call, our 
session last week and today, mm -hmm. this past weekend, um, my daughter had um, two days off for fall break and she wanted to make pies and have a friend over, one of her girlfriends to come over and make pies. So I was like, okay, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And of course she has her friend there. And so I don't want to look like a misfit who can't do anything. <laughs> Of course, she wants to do like New York Times recipe. Oh, yeah, the 22 pies. ingredients, right? Yeah. So I looked up pie and I made the pie crust. I got up, I get up very early. I, I made the pie crust and I by myself very slowly got through that. Mm -hmm. So they were in their refrigerator. So I eliminated that. And then before she came, I made up, I took like little Pyrex bowls and I mixed all the ingredients that they would need into their individual bowls. Right. So I really prepped for this, Yeah. but still during the moment when they both have their, they're making apple pies, they have all their ingredients next to them. They have their own pans, but still, then they want to put on Christmas music because they thought that would be more festive. So we have Christmas music and then yes. they want to put on a Christmas movie. And I said, no. Oh boy, that's said, an no, assault on all senses. I'll lose all you'll, you won't be paying any attention. We watching the movies too, yes. too much. And, but even with the process, I had done so much prep, it still was, and I think I hid it from them pretty well, but it was an incredibly intense hour and a half, two hours for me yes. trying to, as they were giggling and having so much fun and you know, I had the mind, like, I didn't care how much flour was on the floor. Then they went off to see other friends and, I had the rest of the day to kind of recuperate from that, but it, it's an ex example that really shows you can do your prep work. And at moments you kind of push yourself more to the limit to accomplish something and you do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. A great way to put it, right. You do all the prep work and, and then you praise yourself after I got through that. Yeah. That was a great accomplishment for me today. Well, and which also ties into the other thing I do on a daily basis, I don't know if this is helpful to, to relate, but like I talked about doing lists, I'm really good at lists, mm -hmm. but now I do in the last couple of years, I've really perfected. I wake up in the morning, I'll have a cup of coffee. I look at my list and I have kind of a running list and I even put really simple things on it, like empty the dishwasher. <laughs> Candace is holding up the list, empty the dishwasher and, you know, move the, you know, put the stuff in the dryer, um, you know, sit down and, you know, do stretching exercises for 30 minutes. And then I even block out times. And then I have kind of like, oh, things that would be nice to do, but I never get through my whole list, but at least I know, you know, at say like two 30, you must leave the house by two 30 to get to school in time to get your daughter. And if I don't have things written down, even though like, say she has a singing lesson every Monday, I will forget that she has that. So I actually refer to this a lot and it helps me. And it feels really, I love checking off that I emptied the dishwasher. It feels good. It just it feels is, really it feels good, good. To, to look at your list and be like, gosh, I got like, there was six things on this list and I did four of them. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, I mean, it might sound Pollyanna-ish or just, not, not the right word, but it might sound, it might sound overly simplistic, but having that sense of accomplishment, I have found allows me to kind of expand. For instance, 
I've had a hard time reading since the traumatic brain injury. I used to have to read so much as a lawyer and I really didn't read at all for years um, after it happened. And it's still incredibly difficult for me to read. It's incredible. It's hard for me to even, I barely ever turn on the TV, almost never, unless other, my daughters are watching something, but reading in recent years, I've decided, you know, it's kind of like exercising a muscle and it's important to try. Mm-hmm. And so I'm much better at ordering books than I am reading them, but <laughs> so I'm stacking up. you're starting a library. You're starting a library at your house. Oh yes. There's so, and there it's so perfect because most of them don't have any, any marks on the spine because they haven't been opened. But <laughs> I have actually found here or there books that I've enjoyed reading and it takes me a long time. And my daughters are very prolific readers and read very quickly. And sometimes they'll be like, mom, you're still in that book. It's like, yes, I am. And that's good for me. So So, Mary Mary Margaret, did you learn all these skills you're talking about through help with a neuropsychologist, neurologist, or is this tools that you've developed on your own? How did you get this wisdom? I had a neuropsychologist who, who helped me, he suggested, you know, different things that I should look at and read. I haven't had more regular input on that, but I did look at what was provided and I kind of came up with my game plan and um, with the help of my daughters and people in my life that helped me, I've really tried to stick to and refer back to different things that you can do so that you don't, you don't want to atrophy. It's just like a muscle. Like I feel like you, cause some people said to me in the beginning, oh, well, this will never, doctor said, well, this doesn't get better. And I understand that, but it's just like, you know, I'm not going to become an Olympian right now, but if you do start somewhere, start exercising somewhere. Right. your mind or your body or what have you and causing, you know, I think if you just sit where you are, you have this inertia and this sadness that kind of, you know, it's the morning, it's the looking backwards as opposed to looking forward. And so even though I, gosh, I miss, I miss the law and I miss, I miss what I, what I used to do because it was so rewarding. I don't, I think to myself, you know, I thought, I thought on January 6th, that late that evening, I was going to die. And I wasn't going to be here for my daughters. And I have the gift of being alive and I can walk and I can talk and I look for joy where I, where I find it. And I try very hard to just be positive and look forward. Yeah. And take baby steps too. I think that was the other thing is that I just wanted to leap forward. Like tell me, and, and as much as I could get professional help, I, I said, fix this. I really need, I would like to, I've got to move this along this recovery. Like I have a time frame that I set for myself and I expected my physicians and clinicians to have that as well, but that wasn't the case. So the realization that it was baby steps, I think was my turning point too, in self-awareness that, okay, this is, this is going to be a long time and, but I better get going. I had something similar to that. And what you just said very much I experienced that as well for me, because my injury happened at the hands of my ex-husband, it was such a 
violation of somebody you trusted in your life. Mm-hmm. And even though I feared him and his temper, I never expected that. And so my mantra in the beginning was very much, I'm fine because I couldn't admit, I didn't want to give him, even though he wouldn't be hearing me, mm-hmm. I I couldn't say that he had somehow taken a piece of me or in any way left an Im- a negative imprint on me. And so I just was saying, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And by denying that you are experiencing a level of physical trauma and it's continuing, you're kind of ignoring your recovery as well and your ability to move forward. And so I'm really proud of myself and moving forward. And I certainly don't, um, it is still hard to acknowledge the source of my injury. And I am, I am doing really well. I'm not who I was before. I mean, constitutionally in my personality, I'm very much the same, but I do have these challenges, but I also have a very wonderful life with two wonderful girls that give me more joy than I can ever have hoped for. Mm-hmm. Looking for joy in your life. Those again, those those moments of joy that you have and accomplishments or activities that you didn't think you'd be able to enjoy. Those are the small moments that are special. Absolutely. So tell us that well, you told us about the physical injuries and the a little bit touched on the emotional ones. And you haven't, and we talked about your PTSD, so to speak, about hitting your head again, and that brought back rushing uh, memories of of the trauma. Is there anything else that you have been able to accomplish? Uh, with your social life, how, how have you been able to move forward after this trauma that, that you could share with us? I think one thing that really helped me is I realized in recent years that I wasn't angry after what had happened. I had to deal with so much, but I also felt I'm an optimist to a fault and always look on the bright side, glass half full, or frankly, glass all the way full. And I just moved forward in a very deliberate way. And I was able, I was asked, I've never sought out speaking, but on different occasions, I've been asked to to speak about my story. And I was initially very reluctant to do that. And Abigail My older daughter said to me, she said, you know, mom, you've always said you wish you could talk to young women and so that they would be more aware of the warning signs because there were warning signs when I was dating my ex-husband and I was just too naive and unaware to label them for what they were. And I felt like if I was just, if I just, I felt like I could I could manage and create a peaceful life in the way that I behaved, not recognizing that when you meet somebody who has these abusive tendencies, and if it can just be purely emotionally abusive, Mm -hmm. but if they have these, it's these abusive tendencies, it's not something that you can fix. 
and you need to get out sooner rather than later. So I did speak, I have spoken publicly, which is really rewarding. And that is not too difficult for me because I, I can prepare my comments and I, you know, can speak and usually there's not a lot of Q and A and those things. It's more, you know, more linear in terms of you exp explaining what happened. And I've enjoyed doing that. And there hasn't been much of that since COVID, mm -hmm. but Indeed. that's been really rewarding to be able to speak out. And I wanted to share with our audience too, that I've asked Mary Margaret, I don't know if it'll be this year or next year to speak at one of our conferences as well, Philadelphia, which would be a powerful message, not only of her recovery from her brain injury, but also the domestic violence on, on so many levels that your story resonates with our brain injury community so powerfully and eloquently your speaking is, is really has, has an opportunity for, to take it home to our heart about the struggles you've had. And I thank you for that. I wanted to ask you about your girls and how are they doing? They're, they're almost grown now. And how, it, how, did they, how did they manage to get through the difficult time as well? My daughter, Abigail, is a sophomore in college and she's doing fantastic. She's actually very interested in eventually going to law school. And she, this past summer, uh, did an internship at a domestic violence organization that looks at both legislative work and representation of victims, as well as mental health aspects to that. So I'm incredibly proud of her. Mm -hmm. And then my younger daughter, is in seventh grade and she's bright and vivacious and quite wonderful to have in my life mm -hmm. to say the least. And in terms of my recovery, I remember early on, you know, I was always trying to put the best face forward and be like, it's okay. We're going to be fine. Let's Hours keep, through charging, keep charging toward the light. Yes. And it was a really tough it was almost five years from the time of the attack until he actually went to prison on attempted murder, on the attempted murder conviction. And there were three different litigations. There was a divorce case, there was the criminal prosecution, and then there was also a personal injury case in terms of his attacking me and the, and the injuries I sustained and my inability to work and continue on as a single parent. And so that took a lot of, of energy and, but I very much was determined to hold it all together and say, you know, this is a tough time, but this is not what we're going to make our lives about. And at one point I just had taken on too much and got very worn down and just for a couple of days or even a week, I just couldn't stop the tears. And I wasn't sobbing or crying, but I would be making breakfast, just wiping away these tears that just kept coming down my face. And it was just going on and on. And I talked to their therapist and she, who deals with trauma in children. And she said, look, she goes, they need to see the whole you. They need to see that you're not superwoman, that you, that you also can get overwhelmed with things that you're human. And I think that's one thing in are in our house as the only parent, I was very blessed in the sense that I could parent the way that fit me and how I wanted 
that relationship with my children to be. And I didn't try to distract them from bad feelings when they had questions about their father or concerns. I would sit, we would sit and we would talk. I would involve this trauma expert to understand what is, you know, the best way to handle different things. And we just never, even to this day, have shied away from the conversation about what happened. And while we don't lead in our lives with that, and that's not who we are, it's certainly part of our history. And I think it's really important for children to be seen with the respect that you would give a fellow adult and to be able to listen to their concerns not just shoo them away or try to distract them with a balloon or a trip someplace or to the zoo or whatever, but really sit with the bad feelings or the not necessarily bad, but the concerning moments and be able to work through them. And so I think as a result of that, my daughters, I don't think I know, my daughters are very self-aware. They're strong. And they're not, they're not hesitant to say what is on their mind and to do what's right for them and have boundaries where they need to have boundaries. And they're happy. They're, we have a lot of fun. And sometimes we have difficult moments, but those aren't the defining periods. I love that. I love that. We have a few more minutes, Mary Margaret. So is there anything that you could tell our listeners that you, you've been, you've shared so much with us? And I'm wondering in the last couple of minutes, is there, is there anything I missed or any message you have for this, for this group of brain injury survivors? I think that always our mission is to give them some hope and encouragement. Is there anything that you want to share before we close? I think the one way I have thought about it as if I sat back in 2010 and I looked at how much was in front of me in terms of my physical injuries, the, the absolute terror, knowing that there's somebody in the world who wanted to kill me and all the different hurdles I was going to have to get over. I kept thinking to myself, I'm in a marathon. Maybe I'm in mile seven. There's a lot more ahead of me, but I just have to get through. And this is that idea of going day by day. Yeah. I just have to get through that, that day. I have to get through that mile and I have to pace myself and not be too hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And also be able to stop and just enjoy the moments that you have with your loved ones and move forward in the most positive way you can, but at moments, even within the last, within the last couple of weeks, I had, I had a, I had a, this small cyst on my foot and it had to get removed. And I was, had to get, go under anesthesia to get this cyst removed and waking up in the hospital again, it's like a muscle memory thing where it triggers so many emotions and then being in bed for basically two weeks with my foot elevated, not being able to touch it down, which seemed very extreme, but it, it was quite a recovery for the last month. And there were moments where I felt very incredibly sad and reminiscing on all these difficult times, but 
that's all of the fabric of who we are. And you can become a person who kind of wallows or gets very triggered by things that happened in the past, or you're a person who just kind of use it as like the quilt of your life. And there's different aspects and it all makes up who you are today, including the person you were before the traumatic brain injury happened. Those elements of you, although they're not functioning in the same way that they used to, you can, that's still part of the foundation of yourself your own house. It's part of your framing. It's part of who you are. And so that the strengths that you had before can really form a foundation for who you are going forward. And so I would just say, I mean, look on the bright side. It sounds too cliche, but you have to be deliberate and you have to be tenacious in moving forward. And I think I've had the, the gift of two young children when this happened and my utter commitment as a mother to make sure that their lives continued in a positive way. So I didn't have the ability to sit in the corner and cry day after day for myself. I had to get up. And so that was a real blessing in my life. And for people who don't necessarily have that responsibility, I think you have to look at, you know, where, where you do feel that type of responsibility. And even if it isn't for necessarily yourself, I think it's for looking at those around you and taking joy from the fact that they're taking joy seeing you move forward. Well said, well said, that's beautiful. I think that's the message that everybody needs to hear that there are, there's opportunities in the community maybe they hadn't considered uh, responsibilities or some activities with a support group, a church, a synagogue, you know, that there might be some community work that can be done if they don't have an immediate family, that uh, there's many friends and supporters out there that can help lift you up and uh, perhaps declutter your life for you, come in and go through your closet, those type of things, just good friends that you can meet in your journey. Well, Mary, Mary Margaret, thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure recounting the violence that happened in your home and the struggles for you and your girls to recover was, it was not easy. And so we're deeply appreciative of your wisdom to lift up this other brain injury survivors. It's been just a, a great opportunity. Absolutely my pleasure to talk with you today. And um, I, I just wanna tell you how, how really grateful I am that you would share your time with us. Well, thank you so much, Candace. That means a lot coming from you, who you are such an inspiring woman and all that you have accomplished. And really, you know, with starting this foundation and being such a driving force in it is such a incredible gift that you're giving to so many people. Thank you for that. And to, and to our listeners, listeners, thank you for joining part two with Mary Margaret. And as you heard she's an amazing role model for mothers, professionals, survivors, really for all of us. So to our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast. You can be a partner with us, with Mary Margaret and I, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and please leave us comments if there's any other topics you'd like us to consider, like me to consider, email us at info at mindyourbrainfoundation.org. For everyone out there, thank you for joining us. Here's my virtual hug. You are not invisible to us. 